Bibles with me to Revelation 16. While you're turning there, we have time for four praises. Who wants to go first? Something that comes to your mind to praise God for this morning. This church. Three more. Amen. She's back. Baby being born this week. She got through the statement. One more. Yes. Getting through the week, and now we're here, and we're closer to heaven than we've ever been. All right. As we come to Revelation 16, we're, we are dealing with Christ returning to earth. You think about it, the earth has been here 6,137 years, according to the Bible. For about 5,500 years, someone has been preaching the return of Christ, starting with Enoch. Um, the... The biggest thing that you can actually pray for someone who doesn't know Christ is twofold. That they would be positioned to understand clearly that a choice needs to be made. So they need to be in a place, it's usually not on top of a mountain, it's usually not at the end of a great week, it's usually in a place where God becomes a real need. And the, the message needs to be clear. So part of that message is that rejecting Christ results in his coming in wrath that we are studying today. There was, a, there was an earthquake in a small town and a couple of pastors got together to do their part and, and they made a sign and they went and they stood at a corner and the sign said, turn around, the end is near. And every car would just go by them like they weren't standing there. And about 30 seconds later, they would hear a crash. And a car would go by and it, it would crash. And finally, they looked at their sign and they said, maybe we should just write that the bridge is out. <laughs> the message needs to be clear. We have had access to God's word more prevalent today than ever before, and we are less familiar with it than we have ever been. And if the message is not clear, even positioning a person won't help. Because religion has answers for those questions, but there are only answers found in God's word. Let's pray before we begin today. Heavenly Father, as we anticipate the return of your Son for his church, and then a short time after that, he comes to claim the earth that he purchased. And he comes to bring wrath to those who by that point have rejected and rejected and rejected him. Help us to understand this message clearly enough that it changes the relationship with our lost friends and neighbors. In Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation 16, if you think of our journey through the book of Revelation, we have the outline in Revelation 1.19, right what is what you see, John, he sees Christ in his glorious throne. Write what is now, he writes seven letters to seven churches. Write what must take place after this, which is Christ on his throne preparing to come, and then Christ inflicting the world with wrath because... Two reasons, those who are firmly and will remain firmly against him will receive wrath because he is a just God and the scales have to be balanced and God the Father cannot come to this earth, which he is going to one day, if sin is on the surface of the earth in any form. So until all the enemies of Christ are defeated, the Father cannot have a relationship with us on this planet so we have these sets of judgments that in Revelation 4 and 5, they're asking the question, who is worthy to open these seals? There is this scroll that has seven seals. So break a seal open, break a seal open, break a seal open, and so on. And each of these seals are judgments that fall on the earth. The primary purpose of them is that more people will turn to Christ during that time of wrath percentage-wise, than in the history of man. Because they will be positioned by wrath. And the message will be clear 
by 144,002 Jews and angels from heaven covering the planet. So in the second half of the tribulation, while the false prophet, who is likely a religious man walking the earth today, the Antichrist, who is going to rise up out of the European Union, according to Daniel, and Satan himself are saying, you must receive the mark of the beast or you cannot purchase, you cannot buy, you cannot live. And at the same time, angels from heaven are saying, if you choose him, if you receive his mark, the torment of your suffering will never end. So the message will be clear. They will have been positioned. There will be so many people, according to John, turning to Christ that you can't count them. And they will know that the cost is high to do so. But because the message is clear, they will do so. So we have seven seal judgments, and the seventh seal opens seven trumpet judgments. The seventh trumpet opens seven bowl judgments, which we are looking at today. The fifth, sixth trumpet judgments, there is an eagle flying before they are dealt out saying, Woe, woe, woe because judgments are going to fall on the earth beginning with the fifth trumpet that are so severe that the angels are in awe of what is happening. And we come to the bold judgments today, which is the third woe. We probably, in a seven-year period of time, most of this judgment falls in the second half of the tribulation, we are to the bold judgments, and in the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, the second half, there's probably about a week left for these judgments. We will see parallels to these judgments with the trumpet judgments, which are also close to the end. We will see parallels to the judgments in Egypt when they came out of Egypt, and we will see that God did in Egypt what he is doing in the judgments here in the bold judgments, he is showing people he is God and that a choice needs to be made. We begin in verse 1 of Revelation 16 as we move towards Armageddon. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, and these seven angels as I look at, at it more and more, maybe the exact same angels that blew their trumpets, because the seven angels, um, Revelation 8, the seven angels, Revelation 15, and we see the seven angels in verse 7 and in verse 8 of the chapter that we just finished. And I believe the loud voice that we hear her is someone here, here, is something we, someone we have seen multiple times. This is Christ himself. This is the end of his judgment on the earth. He is about to come back and set up his kingdom. And in a loud voice, he is summoning these seven angels to take their bowls of wrath and to pour them on the earth. So it is both figurative and literal that these things are going to be handed to these angels and they are going to pour Christ's wrath on the earth we, we have so many sayings, you think of the month of March, in like a lamb, out like a lion. Um, that is gained from the Bible, and it is about a person, and he is king of kings and lord of lords. John 1, 29, um, John the Baptist looks up and sees Jesus coming. He says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came as a lamb. He lowered himself not only to earth, but to the most despicable form of death, a cross, to pay for every sin, every infirmity, every sickness, and every disease that will ever exist. And then he took my payment and yours and delivered it to hell for us. And then he rose to the place that is the highest place in heaven as he came up from doing that. So in Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 4, it says he strikes the earth with the rod of his mouth. When we look at Revelation chapter 19, it will say that there is a sword coming out of his mouth which, which, 
to strike the nation. It is the voice, the spoken word, the logos of Christ that changes everything. In the beginning, Christ said, let there be a heaven. Boom, there was a heaven. Let there be earth. There was an earth. Let there be galaxies that the most modern technology will never be able to measure. Saw a picture of a, a butterfly explosion um, that is, I forget how many hundreds of light years. Light travels at 386,000 miles per second. So imagine what a light year is. And they're explaining it on this science channel and all of it is saying God. They're talking about this explosion. They're talking about the vastness and the vastness of the galaxy that it's in. And in the center of it, it is a star that has exploded and is dying that proves that eternity didn't exist in the star. Or they would all be dead because the sun is even dying today. But the point is that the one who spoke them into existence Stars hundreds and trillions of miles apart that look like they're side by side to us is going to say it is time for wrath to be complete. Verse 2, the first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land and ugly, so ugly festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. So we see back in chapter 9 and verse 4 this, this projection that now... The, the wrath is being focused. So general things have happened to the earth where a fourth of the earth dies with one plague and then a third of the earth dies with one plague, meaning half of the earth in two judgments. And now they're being, they're being specific. It's, it is hard to imagine what it is going to be like if they will probably be followers of Christ, will be huddled and they will be hiding and they will be trying to stay alive and they will be helping people, Jews in particular, to find safety. And as these judgments fall, something like anthrax is going to be poured out of a bowl from heaven and cover the earth and festering sores will begin appearing over everyone's body. We saw this in Exodus. You have there in your notes, chapter 9, verses 8 through 12, as they had festering boils on their body. So as the first bowl is poured out, imagine just having bowls that are festering and pussy and increasing all over your body. Bowl number one. Verse three. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea and it turned into blood like that of a dead person and every living thing in the sea died. So we see parallels with the second bowl and the second trumpet, the third bowl and the third trumpet, the fourth bowl and the fourth trumpet. The difference is that in the trumpet judgment here, one-third of everything in the sea dies. Think of how horrific that would be. Seventy percent of the planet is covered by seas. And one-third, we still don't know all the species. They learn what I'm told in science, every day a new species in the ocean. A third of them will die. In this case, when this bowl is poured out, nothing in any ocean or sea on earth will be living. God is coming. It is close. Verse 4, the fourth angel, or the, excuse me, the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who, who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The only people left standing here now who will receive judgments are people who are trying to kill every Jew on earth in obedience to the Antichrist. And heaven is responding back and forth with the angels and his followers saying, this is just, this is what needs to happen. We agree with you or amen. As these bowls are being poured out, 
and they are falling uniquely from heaven all around the globe only on those who reject and the ones who are waiting for the return of Christ, which now will likely see him, are being spared. And it would have been spectacular even in that dispersing of these bowls in that way to see those things happening. Verse 8, the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify God. These people to the end are saying, cursed be you, we will not follow you, we are against you, and we will always be against you. So you think of this progression, you, you see people with festering sores all over their body, and you see these, these hungry and destitute Christians who have been hiding for three and a half years, no sores. No festering on their bodies. You see the sea become a pool of dead. You realize that on the springs of water, when it is poured out, there is no drinking water until Christ returns. So now you have people with festering sores, nothing to drink, and the sun is scorching them. There are not months left, there are not days left, there are hours left until Christ returns to earth. Verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. I will not repent. I will not turn to you. I will curse you. And, and the, the infliction of darkness and um, the percentage of people that are afraid of the dark is 100. You may have a different relationship to darkness than other people, but true darkness in this type of evil um, being in, the more I go into cities, the more uncomfortable I feel in broad daylight. But just imagine, for example, in a big city, just complete black, and you're walking the street, and there's not a little bit of light. There is no light. So a third of the sun was taken in the trumpets. All of the light is gone. How this will be where the Christians will be huddled together and they will have light. And not far away are those cursing God and it is so terrifying to them that they're biting and eating their tongues. Imagine the terror that is happening on earth. And with those same tongues, they are still cursing God. Verse 12, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. This would be China and North Korea coming into the Middle East that we read about in the trumpet judgments that parallel this. They're working together. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle of the great day of God Almighty. Christ says, Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as, so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So the two words in Hebrew are Har and Megiddo that form the word Armageddon. So the most, most faithful king in the history of Israel was a man named Josiah. And he was put to death by Necho, 
king of, of Egypt in Armageddon, in the same place where, where he is honored, Christ will return. Just outside of Jerusalem in this vast valley, this arena that George Patton from World War II um, stood over this place and said this, is, this would be the greatest war arena in history. I don't know if he knew about Armageddon or not, but he is, he is right. They will be, all the nations will be gathered into this valley of decision, this valley of Jehoshaphat, where the mountains there are called Megiddo and the valley is Harmegiddo, um, Mount of God, and this valley and this war is taking place and all the nations are gathered. The Euphrates River is dried up, so 200 million foot soldiers can come from the east and come into the Middle East. Daniel chapter 11, verses um, 39 through the end of the chapter, Daniel sees this 600 years before John sees it. As they sweep into the Middle East, he is gathering every evil empire to one valley on earth. And he is coming back to deal with them. And he makes this statement, Behold, I come like a thief. If Christ ever comes to you like a thief, you're in trouble. You see there in your notes, John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Where Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and life to the full. John 3.17 says that Christ condemns no one. No one. He came so that we could have life and have it to the full. To the full now and forever with him. The thief comes only to rob, to kill, and destroy. Jesus says at Armageddon, I come like a thief. If you have rejected me, if you have rejected life to the full and life forever and forgiveness of sins, then I come to you like a thief. So I remember a movie as a kid that was about the rapture called The Thief in the Night, and they don't understand. Let's turn to First. Thessalonians, actually, um, let's go to Matthew first, where Jesus is teaching Peter, Andrew, James, and John the things that we are reading long before John teaches them. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24 and 25 Mark chapter 13, Luke chapter 21 is known as the Olivet Discourse just because he was on the Mount of Olives. He singled out or brought aside Peter, Andrew, James, and John, his four closest disciples. He takes them up on the mountain and allows them to look over this territory. They would have probably been able to see um, the Valley of Decision. They would have been overlooking the largest temple that was ever in Jerusalem, built by Herod. And there, as the chapter begins, they're like, man, look, look, Jesus, this is awesome. Look how big the temple is. Isn't it awesome? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it's going to be completely leveled. And judgment is going to fall here. And I am going to come and judge the earth. And they're like, when is this going to happen? So in the second half of the tribulation, he, he goes to Daniel and Joel to teach this, that it is Daniel who said 600 years before Christ, Daniel prophesied the day, marked it on the calendar, that Jesus Christ would come in on Palm Sunday. And Jesus came in on that exact day, 483 years after a treaty was signed by Artaxerxes. And he said that the final seven days of God's plan to deal with sin is going to be this time of horror on earth and the midpoint is going to be where the, everything turns up significantly. So when we pick it up in Daniel chapter 14, 
or 24, verse 14, Matthew 24, verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom, we've been talking about the kingdom a lot, and that's what the book of Matthew is based on, is the kingdom that is coming. Verse 14 of Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So first in verse 14, he says, I'm going to cover the globe with the gospel. It says in Revelation, they won't be able to hide from the truth. Everyone will hear the truth. It will be made clear to them. They'll be positioned that you need to make a decision. Him or him. So this gospel is going to cover the globe, he tells his disciples. Verse 15. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. He says, the midpoint is marked. We go to Daniel 9 and verse 26, and Daniel says at the midpoint of this time of horror, he will set up an image of himself, an abomination that causes desolation. Paul talks about it. Jesus talks about it. John talks about it that he is going to set up an image in God's temple of himself, the Antichrist, and he will say, I am God. So Jesus says to his disciple, the gospel is going to cover the globe, so when you see this image put up, let the reader understand. Drop down, that's Daniel 9.27. Drop down to verse 21. For then there will be great distress. He's quoting Daniel 12, 1, which is the description of this great tribulation, the second half, when he says, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. So we have the disciples who are coming into this conversation saying, Look how great everything turned out. And Jesus says, listen up, they're going to reject me, they're going to kill me, I'll be back. And go to the book of Daniel to understand when I'll be back. And understand that when you see this set up in the temple, he tells the Jews, get out of Jerusalem. Everyone who believes in me, get out of Jerusalem, because he's going to move his headquarters from Babylon in the Middle East to Jerusalem, and he's going to set up an image of himself in the temple, and he's going to claim to be God. This passage in Matthew, we talk about the lion and the lamb. This is the lion. This is 100% lion of the tribe of Judah. He is, the only names used in here are authority, authority, authority. So the most authoritative name of Christ comes from Daniel 7.13, Son of Man. Not Son of Man because he's born of Mary, Son of Man because he rules over man. That's his authoritative name, his sovereign name. Verse 27, For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Drop down to verse 30. Then will, appear in the, then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all peoples on earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The entire planet will see the return of this king. Daniel 7, 13 and 14 is a vision of Revelation 4 and 5 where the Father is seated on the throne and the title deed to the earth is held in his hand and Christ walks to him and everyone is saying, who can open it? Who can open it? And he comes and he takes it from his Father's hand and he begins to break the seals as we see in Revelation 6. And in Daniel 7, 14, he says, all authority, all power, all rule, everything is under Christ. When they can't find a reason in Mark chapter 14 to put Christ on the cross that will satisfy the Romans, he gives it to them because he must go to the cross. They say, are you the Messiah? He says, yes. 
and you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. That's me. And they put him on the cross. Because the Jews say to Caesar, he says he's king over you. What do you say? And still Pilate wouldn't put him on the cross because he was afraid of him. Drop down to verse 37. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming, only authority here, of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the handmill, one will be taken and the other left. And we looked at this last week in chapter 13 of Matthew. The ones taken are thrown into the blazing fire of the furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 42, therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord Yes, he's your savior. Yes, he's your redeemer. But he comes here as Lord. He comes as Kyrios. He comes as master, ruler, sovereign. You don't choose him as Lord here. He is Lord here. Verse 43. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what time the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not have left his house get broken into. So you also must be ready because of the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now this is interesting. We won't see the English word Lord from here on, but we'll see the word Master four times. That's in English. In Greek, it is the exact same word, Kyrios, verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master, Kyrios, has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. This is the one who believes. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. That's what the world is saying today. They're mocking the things that you're hearing today. He's not coming back. Verse 49. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come in a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's turn to 1 Thessalonians for some good news. So we saw the two groups there, and they're defined many places in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 5, we're going to look at the end of chapter 4. There's two groups. If you're faithful and you're a follower of Christ, when he comes back, he's going to put you in charge of all of his possessions. And you will be with him forever, surrounded by glory and perfection forever. He comes here in what we just saw in Matthew. He comes as Kyrios, son of man, sovereign like a thief. You didn't want me? You won't have me. I come in wrath. Before the tribulation, Paul makes crystal clear. Paul is the, the final authority on the gospel. We talked about this in Sunday school. The, the progressions and the ages um, all have a purpose. They all move forward. They all move forward. We come to the apostle Paul, and he is the individual who puts them all together in perfection. And Paul says... To a believer in Jesus Christ in 2022, that all that we just read about, you won't be here because he comes for you first. Simple statement. 
If you follow Christ now, there is zero wrath in your future. Everything that we are studying in Revelation 16 is wrath. So let's start with verse 16 of chapter 4. This is the rapture. This is when he comes for his church. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will, ri will rise first. Who's that? Everyone before the rapture who believed in Christ, but has died. They will be the first ones brought up to the clouds with Christ. Verse 17. After that, we who are still alive, this could happen today. We who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That's harpazo in the Greek. That's raptura in the Latin. So that's where the word rapture comes from. In the word, words caught up. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Do you see the difference in the endings and the descriptions? In Matthew chapter 24, he will come back as a thief. In Revelation 16 at Armageddon, he will come as a thief and he will destroy with wrath, and he will put people where there is weeping and gnashing and of teeth and torment forever. When he comes here, he says, be encouraged by this. He's going to come down to the clouds. He's going to summons his church, not a church, not the, the shape of a building, not a particular, but people who have made Christ Lord. And he will call them up, and the, the graves will empty with Christians and meet Christ in the air, we who are still alive and going about our business of the day will be caught up to the Lord. Encourage each other with that. Know that no matter what you're going through today, the day is coming where Christ himself will summon you to spare you of wrath, to be with him forever, to put you in charge of all of his possessions. Paul shifts gears. Verse 5, or chapter 5, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, what does he mean? Christ followers. About times and dates we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord, that's what we're reading about in Revelation, will come like a thief in the night. How do we know that's not for us? Paul will explain. While people are saying peace and safety, remember like the days of Noah going on, marrying, given in marriage, ah, he's not coming back. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. Listen to this promise in verse 9. It comes in multiple places. Here's one of them. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. If he's your Lord, your Savior, your Messiah, that's his name, Lord, Kyrios. If he's your master, then he's your Savior, and he's your Redeemer. And that means, among so many other blessings, wrath is not in your future. Paul will tell us in 2 Thessalonians, we won't go there today, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 11, this is an important part of a clear message. If you're hearing what I'm saying today, and you're saying, I don't know if he's my Lord or not, let me be straight with you. He can be your Lord today. You can say, I don't understand all this. I don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I know I need to make you Lord. Jesus, will you be my Lord, my master? 
If he is, he's your savior. He's your redeemer, your reconciler, your friend, your brother, your kingdom that you will participate in. What Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2 is, if you hear this, this, this has to be part of the message. If you hear this and you're not sure, and you don't decide before the rapture, God will cause you to believe the Antichrist. Because your time period is from the cross to the rapture to say yes. That's your opportunity. Not saying yes is saying no. And he will not force you. He will not coerce you. But he will pursue you. And he will pursue you with these thoughts if he's not your Lord yet. I want to be your Lord. I want to be your Savior. You're guilty, not as the sinner, but as a sinner, like everyone else. I died on the cross to prove to you how much I love you. Can I be your Lord? If the answer is yes, Paul says, then wrath is not in your future. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. He has perfect discernment. He not only knows everything you know about you, he knows everything you don't know about you. He knows exactly and precisely. We don't have to be brilliant. We don't have to be creative. We don't have to be talented. We don't have to have specific abilities. We just need to say, Christ, you are my Lord. And if we do that, we are his. And Peter is explaining how he has always known how to separate so at the very beginning, day one of creation, Lucifer became Satan, and a third of the angels went with him. That was it for the angels, no more choice. So we pick up in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, but there were false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They were secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord. You don't need him as Lord. He doesn't have to be curious. He just wants you to believe it's true, pray a prayer, and get on with your life. That's what the church says today. Peter says those are false teachers. They're demonically possessed with a goal of keeping you out of heaven. And reading on, verse, well, let me just start again. But there will be false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. They will mock it. There are many, many preachers mocking the truth of salvation and Christ is Lord. Verse 3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God, this takes us to day one of creation when Lucifer fell, Ezekiel 28, Isaiah 14. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Why the flood? Because there are probably as many people on earth then as there is today, and there were eight people on earth who believed in God as Lord. Noah and his wife, Shem and his wife, Ham and his wife, and Japheth and his wife, that's it. And there's going to be no faith if God doesn't step up. Verse 6, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, this is a dark story because Lot 
probably makes Christ Lord a few years earlier when Abraham does in Genesis chapter 15. So Abraham is standing on the mountain with Christ himself saying to him, I know you're righteous and I know you're loving if there's there's in these million people or so down here, what if there's 50 that believe in you? His nephew's down there, that's why he's doing this. And he says, I would be unjust. Okay, if there's 50, I won't. Abraham says, well, what about if there's 40? I won't destroy any of them if there's 40. What if there's 30, Lord? What if there's 20? Lord, let me be so bold. What if there are 10 people in all of these cities of the plain that call you Lord, are you going to bring wrath on them? No, Abraham, I won't. I won't do that. There's one. There's one person. Peter is saying, God never pours wrath on his. He pulls Lot out of there with two angels. His wife isn't one of them. He tells his He tells them, don't look back, and his wife looks back, and there is still evidence of a pillar of salt in this territory in 2022. 23. 23, thank you. That's the second time I've said that. So Peter is explaining God always spares wrath from his and brings wrath to those who are not. Verse 8 For the righteous man living, describing Lot, among them day after day was tormented by his righteous soul, by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Turn your second Peter right there. Drop down to chapter 3 and verse Nine. 2,000 years is a long time to us, but Peter tells us the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. Why hasn't he come yet? Look around. Why hasn't he come? Peter says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Back to Revelation 16 as we look at the seventh bowl. Revelation 16, verse 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is Christ's voice, it is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and severe earthquake, no earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on the earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city, this is Babylon, split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. And this is False Babylon, all false religion goes back to Genesis 9 and 10, and we will study that next week. Verse 20, think of the severity of this earthquake. Listen to this. Every island fled away from the mountains. Every island fled away and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones, each weighing about 100 pounds, fell on people and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. The seventh bowl is like the seventh 
plague in Exodus you have there in your notes. This is poured out on the earth. We've already had this demonic intrusion in the sixth bowl of the the full possession of the Antichrist by Satan, this false prophet fully possessed, and Satan himself, and the gathering of the nations to come up, Satan thinking if we can just get enough against Christ when he comes, we can defeat his army, and he comes in his glory, and he speaks judgment over these people. He judges Babylon. He judges every false religion that says, follow Christ and do it this way, but it's not in the Bible. And people have been misled, as Peter Peter said, by these false apostles denying that you have to know him as Lord. And now he comes to judge, and he, the sovereign one in 1 Colossians 1.17 says that not only did he create everything, it was created in him, and then he created it, but he sustains it through his powerful word, Hebrews chapter 1. He is literally holding every molecule of your body, this room, this planet, this galaxy, every universe, he is holding it together. For him, it is not a big deal to take the earth and shake it until the mountains flatten out, until there is no Hawaii, there are no islands. There will be tsunamis and earthquakes that We just heard him say here, nothing has ever happened like this. And while hailstones this big around are crashing to the earth only on those who rejected him, they're cursing him right before they get hit. The choice is ours. Why would he tell us that this is happening? So that if you haven't made Christ your Lord before today, that would change. And so the comfort that you have that, well, I have four friends and they all go to churches and they all teach something different. It's not okay with me anymore. You believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. Don't believe anything, I'll tell you right now, because this person says to believe it. But don't deny anything that this book says. And he says, every knee will bow someday. And if for you it is today, you will live forever. And there is no wrath in your future. If someday for you is someday later, he has to warn you. And he has. Heavenly Father, thank you for warning us. Thank you for telling us the truth. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, before any of this, long before any of this, you decided that your son would give us free will, that that would cost him his life, that he would choose to give it so that we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen.